0: the latest on the world game on sport 24 7 this is 442 insider hello again and welcome to 442
1: insider i'm colin turner and delighted to invite you to join me inside one of the great football magazines in the world 442 Every week, we come here to the offices of 442 to discuss the big talking points of the world game with the chief sporting people who bring you all the latest news, plus putting a smile on your face in their monthly magazine. This week, we have, sitting on my extreme left, the publishing director, Andy Jackson. On my left, Aidan Orman, their chief football writer, and Chris Parakivas, who blogs for 442. Well, I suppose the first question, Andy, is what's on the agenda this week?
2: Yeah, Colin, kind of love a busy week. Um, Vytislav Levicka, uh Sydney FC's new coach, was uh, on hand at Star City this week to uh, to hold his first press conference. Obviously, we were there. There's, there's plenty of photos on that on the website. And um, he sort of outlined his vision, which uh, he, he listed discipline and team unity high on his list. So that's something uh, that Sydney FC don't seem to have had in, uh, in much... Uh, in bucket loads in the first four seasons so if you can get team unity and discipline then i think you'll be doing well um Perth glory uh, still appear close to uh a coup in bringing uh brazilian danielson over um latest where we have is that a decision is potentially pending within a matter of hours so uh, obviously keep them on the website for that um and the last thing, obviously over uh, overnight was the mariners um narrow 2-1 loss over in Japan, um, obviously a much better performance than they produced at home, but uh, still ended up with defeat, which uh, Laurie McKinnon has come out this morning and said that they really need to now win their last two games to have any hope of qualifying. I think even if they do that, they'll struggle. But um,
1: well, we have to admit, atrocious conditions.
2: Yeah, it was. I mean, uh, but, you know... I'm it's the same for both sides. I think, I think given the conditions I was quite pleasantly surprised with, with the football that I saw. I thought you know, the temptation to just hoof it forward. Uh, I thought the Mariners were a lot better than they were a week ago or two weeks ago, whenever it was when they got hammered at home. Um, and they were l- unlucky not to come away with something. You know, certainly the uh, second half they had some sustained pressure after they equalised and probably should have scored in that period but didn't and then left themselves open to the late. Like soccer punch, which which they got mm, exactly. What did you think of it?
3: Uh, look, it's 14 hours since the game, and I'm still angry. I, I just can't believe that they didn't get anything out of that game. Um, you know, for 80 minutes or so, they I think they did really well. The conditions suited them, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, in the end, again, another defensive mistake. Two strikers. I think. I think it might have been Kwasnick and, and Simon went up for the same ball. Uh, was that? Was it the two strikers and the ball just yeah. locked to one of their players? Um, and of course, they got uh, beaten with a header right in front of goal. So um, really angry that they didn't get anything out of that because the conditions suited them, the scenario suited them. Ie, you know, nobody really expected them to win. Um, so to not get anything out of that game is, is I mean, I'm just. Uh, I'm just furious. Chris, were you as angry as Ian was?
4: Uh, first, all, first of all, thanks for the introduction, Colin. Yeah. Much appreciated. It's us that's the Greek pronunciation, but uh, it was a good attempt, actually. i know going a good attempt. Apologies. <laughs> oh, Before I continue, I just wanted to say that um, I feel extremely out of place here because everyone's got this lovely British accent and just so much character. And then you've got this 19-year-old walking in with this nasally Australian accent. It's absolutely horrible. I mean, when Brits talk about football, it just sounds like they know what they're talking about. And then you've got me coming along and, well, anything I say Your can be Honor, basically disregarded. You're very well. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, I, th- I thought the Mariners were good yesterday, and I was really pleased with the way they approached the first half in particular, and there was a moment there in the second half where they just looked like um, they had built up enough confidence to take the game to Kawasaki. and I've never seen them do that throughout this whole campaign. Um, there was a moment just after the Mariners equalised, where Heffernan arrived late in the box and he really charged it a header, I and mean, it was a horrible header, but the fact is that showed after being you know, pinned in his own half. Uh, For the entire game, Heffernan suddenly believed that he could score a goal, and that's encouraging if nothing else. If the Mariners get nothing else out of that game, it's that yes, Australian teams are capable of taking it to the Japanese, despite the fact that they're technically superior. And yes, we do ourselves have the ability to attack and build up. An
1: interesting point you bring up, you say, if we have learned or if they have learned anything out of it, I uh, throw the question to the three of you. Have, have we in Australia learned anything about how we have to perform in, in the Asia Championship? I think, it's said, I think what the Mariners have
2: certainly shown us is that Japanese teams are just as dangerous from set pieces as Australian teams are supposedly. How dangerous they are. You know, that's what everyone talks about with Australian teams is the physical threat, aerial threat from set pieces. But to be honest, I've not seen that. You know, and what we've seen is good set-piece delivery from from the Japanese team, which has has hurt the Mariners in both games. Again, yesterday, you know, set-piece delivery was spot-on. Vukovic probably could have done better, probably needs to be looking to push that away from the goal, even if that's... Sacrificing a corner, but I think, you know, for me, I mean, what it showed. Gus Hitting was always one that talked about football being about about momentum and about periods of the game where you can't control a game of football for ninety minutes. Doesn't matter how good a side you are, mm-hmm. um, and when you have the momentum in your favour, you have to score. You have to ben- you have to benefit from that. And the Mariners didn't last night in that period. Then Matt Simon had another great chance with a header that, that he just didn't get the right connection on it. And if that goes in, then they've taken advantage of that, and they, you know, then they can defend for the last ten minutes. But I suppose, in the one
1: thing that you could say about Laurie McKenna is that he learned from the first game, which was a disaster at home, getting hammered 5-0, uh, packing the midfield and trying to create over there. I, you know, he's learned He's learned a little bit, hasn't he?
3: Well, yeah, I mean, I think all the players said after the game that they were disappointed in the Blue Tongue game that they couldn't get close to the Japanese players. They had an outstanding night, uh, Kawasaki, in, in Gosford. Um, and and they just couldn't they couldn't lay a glove on them mm-hmm. so i think in this game the conditions suited them because it was a lot harder to play that kind of two touch brand football and and the way that they can control the ball and play it off because in that driving rain and it was yeah. just in yeah. sheeting yeah. down all night very hard to play that style of football It really suited them but i think i think it was an interesting point on on one uh, one uh, person on au.442.com which is the magazine's website um, just made the note about a lot of people talk about Mille Jednak and, and the fact that he's no longer playing for the side and they haven't won since he left. But what about the, well, Fergie? I mean, Fergie left last season as well. And also, I think I'd go back also... I mean, Danny Vukovic, I think, is a terrific goalkeeper and I think he's got a massive future. I just wonder whether or not somebody like a Bozza would have added that kind of defensive organisation that maybe at times at these set-pieces they really need. I mean, imagine being a defender and you've got Bozza behind you. A, it gives you confidence. And B, he is... Yeah. just yeah. He's an you organizer. know he's yeah. an organizer and then we saw him at training when he first arrived and he is one of those keepers you always want to have behind you because he organizes it he gives it to you when you haven't picked up and I just think, I just sensed defensively that maybe boss could have added to to um what we've seen so far in the ACL and also the A League towards the end of the season with that, Chris.
4: Agreed. I think the importance of keepers are really, really underestimated at club level in particular. We see the difference that Schwarzer makes for Australia on the international scene. Um, the Kawasaki keeper yesterday was a Japan international. And he made that massive save from Simon in the first half, and all of his experience shone through when his team were really under pressure yesterday night. Mm. And um, look, like Aidan said, Danny's got a a huge future ahead of him, Um, but he just doesn't have that presence that an international would have, uh, that a veteran would have.
3: And Um, he will have it, I think he will have it. Yeah, definitely. And I think matches
4: like that will develop it for him. I think he'll learn, he'll grow like all the other players. But for the moment, any side who don't have that, even that physical presence that a guy like Kovic might have offered for the Jets, um, they're going to be disadvantaged in Asia in particular.
1: Interesting point that you, Chris, and, and and Aidan bring up and, and I'll put this back to Andy you mentioned at the start one of the topics and, and these boys are talking about experience now Perth are talking about bringing in a very very experienced player in Denielsen how far is that going and what's that going to do for Perth what's it going to do for the a
2: Oh, you know, I think anyone who's got experience at the level he has playing in La Liga and, and for the Brazilian national team is always going to be worthwhile I mean we saw that you know, when he was fit the difference that Amaral made you know, just having that experience even if the legs aren't necessarily there it'd be interesting to see how quick Danielson still is because that was really what he made his reputation on was his pace um, there wasn't always an end result and I think that's probably why he didn't really go as far as he was tipped to at the start of his career um, but yeah I mean, you know experience uh, you know comes at a price you know the sure. players who are experienced at the top level you know and are still performing at that level aren't going to be coming to the A-League no doubt about that the know, so.
1: only thing I worry about in is he's coming to train with them and then play for just seven games absolutely yeah is that enough?
3: yeah well look I think as a, as a coach I don't like the idea of just bringing a player in yeah. for seven games right. particularly in a league like this where it's what 20, no, 27 rounds uh, I mean if it was if it was uh, you know 21 rounds maybe because they're third of the season maybe slightly Different. I just sense that you know you build a team around what you do in pre season. You bring in a player, he plays for seven, he might not even play for all seven because Boswell's injured, I think.
2: So, hey, 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 this, this is your story. Is it seven games with a view to becoming a marquee deal for the rest of the season, or is it a fixed? No, no, it's, it's
3: three months. I've spoken to the agent involved in the deal, and, and, and basically, Danielson's looking at uh, a three-month spell, which is, I think, uh, five weeks pre-season, seven weeks in the league. Right. Um, so I think that's uh, that's three months. Is That three but months. But that'll
1: take him down to December. So what's he what's he thinking of? Uh, go back to Brazil and play with? Yeah. Mexico look, he or has it. Like
3: well, I think he's uh, I think he's with Palmeiras or Flamengo. I can't remember now. But um, he's got a girlfriend who's an actress over there, and apparently that's one of the reasons why he doesn't want to leave. Yeah. But uh, like I said to the agent, I mean, you know, Brazilian actresses in this country bring them down. You you know. I'm sure she can find some work. <laughs> no, but look, Denilson... mate
1: is gone, yeah. Okay. But I just
3: think that... that uh, settle down. Um, <laughs> oh. I just think Denilson will bring a real pizzazz. Look, it's a club which you got to remember also at Perth is that Tony Sage has taken over full control of the club and he's really a go-ahead guy and I think he just wants to make a statement and I think that they can get good crowds if Denelson d- did arrive and we should know basically in the next few hours this phone should ring, this Nokia phone should ring and uh, with Denilson And also is that you've got daddy as well. And I think no. Dardy and De Nilsson together. Hold, hold that for a minute because
1: we're going to take a break. I want to come back to this because I definitely want to talk about Brazilian actresses.
0: Love your football? Catch World Football Watch every Saturday night on Sport 24-7.
3: Hi, I'm Barry Hanson. We'll have all the latest team news, interviews with players and managers. Who will win the Premiership? Will it be Manchester United, Chelsea, Arsenal, Liverpool? Or will Martin O'Neill turn it around at Aston Villa and challenge for the trophy? At the other end of the table are West Bromwich Albion doomed. If so, who will join them? Middlesbrough, Newcastle United? Find
0: out Saturday evenings. World Football Watch, every Saturday night from 10 Eastern Standard Time on Sport 24-7. Attention all sporting memorabilia collectors. If you're looking for top quality, authentic memorabilia to add to your collection or as a personal or corporate gift, memorabiliaonline.com.au is your answer. Be it cricket, Aussie rules, legal union, horse racing, boxing, motorsports. In fact, most popular sports. Go to memorabiliaonline.com.au and have a browse around. All products are guaranteed authentic with prices to suit all budgets. memorabiliaonline.com.au The latest on the world game, on Sport 24-7. This is 442 Insider.
1: Welcome back to 442 Insiders. I'm here in the offices of 442 with the publishing director, Andy Jackson. their a football writer, Aidan Ormond and Chris Paris-Kevos. Correct. correct. Well well, done,
4: Colin. uh, uh, Free baptism for you in the Greek Orthodox Church.
1: Oh, that's a plug. (laughs) Just before the break, we were into uh, talking about a Brazilian footballer called Denilson going to come to Australia. And suddenly, Aidan brought in that he was bringing an actress or something. But let's go back and be serious for a minute. We have a lobby follower here at the moment, Denilson coming in. Is this a good idea to bring in players for seven weeks or seven games? Is that a good idea?
2: I'm, I'm not, I must say, I'm not, I'm not a fan of the, of the guest interplay. it's four weeks or okay. seven weeks. I think, it, you know, as we saw with Romario, it, it involves the club changing the way they play. The, the other players know he's not going to be there for long. The fans not know he's not going to be there for long. And I think it, it has the danger of creating almost like a little season within the season, which isn't really good for the for the continuity and, and the, the system of play there. However, you know, Fowler, Kalina, you know, yeah. perfect marquee candidates, great marquee candidates, you know, um, either bringing, you know, people back like Kalina at his prime, you know, at his prime, probably the first one that's come back under 30, which is great. And Robbie Fowler, you know, if you can yeah. get fit, you know, no doubt in the, you know, player of his quality. But you need them here. For, you need them here for oh, yeah, it's got to be the season. season. You
1: need a, a Dwight, Dwight Dwight York, if I can say it properly, a Dwight York to come in for a season. You need the same thing. But Chris, your background is Greek, and the, the Greek Football Federation have the same situation, don't they? They bring players
4: in for how long? Well. I think the problem is, even for a season, uh, a player can turn out to be an absolute disaster if he comes from a, a distinctly different football culture. Um, right. the, the side that I follow in Greece, AEK Athens, AK Athens yeah. um, they signed Rivaldo a couple of seasons ago. Okay. Uh, and he was a success at course, a raving success. He was particularly good in the Champions League. He became the poster boy for their you know, three or four years for a bit of dominance in Greece. Came to AEK at 36 years old, uh, was meant to lift the club into the next level. And even though he stayed there a season with a plan to stay for two, yeah. uh, basically ended up banging Bankrupting the club Uh, they lost a president as a result he got a manager fired and just threw the club into a disheveled state and they haven't recovered from it since and that was for a season that wasn't a guest in and a player like De Nilsson who was a teammate of Rivaldo's I think at at the World Cup in 2002 and and maybe even 98 um, one wonders in seven games what impact he's going to have will he do the same thing to Dave Mitchell who himself is under a little bit of pressure and Perth are in a rebuilding phase themselves do they need this disruptive influence you know uh, coming in at this stage you spoke To the agent, what does he say about
3: the player? How fit is he? Well, the player has been playing in Brazil, so the player is quite fit. Um, He's on a play as you pay, play as you pay contract. Um, So I think he'll be reasonably fit. I I just, I just think, as the boys have said, I think you know the problems of playing for seven games are are evident. Um, And I think what Perth are doing is they're looking at making a splash. They're looking at making a splash early in the season with the fans over there. You gotta remember that Perth used to lead the NSL with crowds and they were really very much like an A-League club until the salary cap came in and people decided, well, why should I go all the way to Perth when I can get when I can play in Sydney or Melbourne or whatever. So it's balanced things out. They've had very poor crowds, I have to say, um, although uh, a little bit fickle as well. So um, a bit of pizzazz, probably looked at more of a marketing ploy than anything else. The mm-hmm. problem is
2: though, you know, you're sort of damned if you do, and damned if you don't. Because if yeah. he's a success, what happens after the seven games? That's you know, what I would And just, if he's a yeah. failure, he probably end up being played because he's only going to be there for seven games, and they're and they're paying him, you know, an above average salary to do that. Yeah, so, it's, yeah it's, it's a, a double a-
1: edged sword, though, Andy, because if he comes in and he makes uh, and he makes it, and they win, we say four or five of the first seven games, the the possibility is that he will attract other players other foreign players to come in and follow in his footsteps and say hey he's laid the foundation this is a successful team I want to play with him or as you quite rightly say it could be a disaster and no one would want to come so it's a double-edged sword
3: I think Romario has basically laid the foundation for a lot of Brazilian players because he spoke to Romario he spoke to Janinha who's very close with about playing in this country so they see it as, as a viable alternative and I think many years ago Perth Glory had a player called Samson Sia from Nigeria who uh, was here I think maybe just for a season and just a short-term effect but had a terrific effect was very popular with the fans even though he wasn't a huge name so I think from a marketing point of view it's got some benefits but if I was a manager I, I would probably unless it was Cristiano Ronaldo or Lionel Messi or somebody in that massive tier where you can just say that they will win you games I think it's fought with, uh, fought with a bit of danger. I think
4: what's important here as well is considering Perth's predicament uh, the fact that they seem to have lost touch with their fan base a little bit over the past couple of seasons they really need to consider this move, if it happens, within the context of a larger rebuilding phase. They need to have uh, other work going on behind the scenes. They need to have a backup to this. They can't just rely on De Nilsen to get them out of the hole that they're in. This can't be their, their only plan. This needs to be part of a concerted effort to get back in touch with the fans, uh, to move back onto the Australian football scene as a force, as they were in the NSL. And Danielson for seven games, on his own, probably won't do that. That's the problem. But I think okay. it's a start. Yeah. I
3: think it is a start. It's saying, we're here.
1: Okay. Yeah. Okay. Marquee players, you say, are good for the a league game and um, is that depriving locals of the uh, young locals getting into the a league teams
4: i think a lot of these marquees when they come over lift a lot of the local players um, imagine playing alongside robbie fowler as, as a 21 year old 20 year old coming up and learning from him yeah. uh, we've seen the effect that dwight york had at sydney fc particularly as a midfielder bringing players into the game yeah. um, if the marquee player has a team attitude and, and with a view to develop players around him it's a success if the marquee player just like Romario possibly was um, is very much sort of centred and, and wants to just score goals and improve his own record then it will be a massive failure uh, it really depends on, on the a bit like publishing again. Andy isn't it you've got to have a good team around you I
2: think I, I'm not convinced that it's depriving anyone off the, you know, I think if you look at the, the squad list that North Queensland have put together you know, that suggests to me that there's not an awful lot of depth there at the moment because they're all players that have figured in the A-League, you know, previously. I think the Youth League has, has been a successful, um, from a scouting perspective, I think we've seen a few youth team players breaking through. We certainly saw it with Sydney and I don't know it's Adelaide announced one of the youth guys has been promoted into the squad. Um, so I think the youth league does that I think the youth league picks up those players and, and also you know we've still got strong state leagues Alright
1: before the whistle goes for half time we've got about three minutes running down to half time I'm going to throw a ball in, in from the left field to the three of you if you were in charge of the club as a coach, it doesn't matter which club, which which marquee player would you go for around the world and think that he could come in and do a job for you? It doesn't matter which team, whether it be Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, mm-hmm. Queensland, or whatever. Is there a marquee player that you think, like a Teddy Sheringham or someone like that, that could come in and do a very good job that you might have in mind? Come on, Chris, you must know a couple of very good Greek players. Or Simon, Aiden, the same. Uh,
3: look start with that one yeah. that is a tough one
4: one over, over 30 I think maybe someone like um, well he's retiring at the moment but if you could convince him to play another year Pedro Georgievich from Olympia Kos. now he's a man who will connect immediately with Greek fans in Australia Right. Um, well Greek we fans, yeah. fans Serbian fans and, and he's a pretty well known player and he has quality he's proven it before he's fit um, He probably be willing to come over here and play for a season. Um, sort of plays like that and he brings players into the game as well. And what
1: about a player that played with your club in the northeast of England, Kevin Phillips?
3: Yeah, look he was linked with Perth Glory recently. Yeah. I think it'll be a terrific signing. Yeah. I think somebody like a Mark Viduca who's obviously you know close to the exit at Newcastle, mm. he'll be a terrific marquee signing next season if he did come in. Um, yeah Kevin Phillips, it's gotta be a striker, I think. Yeah, um, I, or an attacking think, yeah. midfielder you, you, you know, you're not going to I think many years ago Carlton went with this uh, so-called marquee player of David McPherson and uh, mm. this is in the NSL I mean you, you, you know the brick pack as they call them and uh, you, you just don't have marquee players as the central defenders so I think I'll go for the striker Is there a couple
1: uh, of players in Scotland Andy that could come over here You know, just guys that are uh, getting to the end of their career in Scotland, that could come
2: on? Uh, I mean, there was talk of potentially teams looking at someone like Barry Ferguson if he's out of favour, mm-hmm. but I'm yeah. not, you know, I, I, I just think I'd, I'd like to know what sort of players like Georgie King are mm-hmm. doing these days. You yeah, know, he's probably yeah. still 33, 34, 35, you know. Um, or I'd like to see, you know, the first um, real A League team to look to Asia for a marquee. And yeah. to look at uh, you know a Japanese player, we're consistently sitting around talking about the fact that we've well, we done that
3: with Miro. Miro. Yeah, that,
2: you know, and that was arguably a success. Yeah. But on a but on a short term, still, yeah. I'd like to go and see us you know, really compete and bring you know someone like an Ono over yeah. here. Well, and yeah, you know, and learn from uh, them. Yeah, you know? well, I, I can Train. tell
1: you, I can tell you about Ono. Uh, unfortunately, Ono was very interested in coming, but unfortunately, he has a blood disorder. Which keeps him at home in Japan, right. and that's what stopped him from uh, from coming down here. He would yeah. have come, and he would have be, been, as you say, a great, great uh, acquisition for the
3: a Yeah, I, I think there was a, a Japanese player who was playing in the National Team who, re, who retired, uh, who was rumoured to be uh, involved in that Oceania versus LA Galaxy match uh, late last year. I can't remember the Japanese Inamoto, is it or? Yeah, didn't he quite quite. Yeah, yeah, and I think he was, he's yeah. retired from football. He was yeah. last spotted uh, on the social pages in in South of France, I think, but I mean he would be a terrific player and I think there's a lot of Japanese people who would, who would go and see but him. But
1: you'd have to have you'd have to have a player that is recognized by the people who go on the terraces and pay the money. Mm. You can't bring someone in here who is unknown.
4: Well, see that's the problem with Asia. Um, you know, apart from the big name Japanese players that we've seen and maybe even the Iranian players to perhaps a lesser extent. Um, in play, even like Ono, how many people would stand? Up uh, and I don't watch it.
0: I
2: think, I think the, you're either bringing a marquee player for for their marketable value, or you bring bringing yeah. in for what they're going to bring on the pitch. Yeah. How many people have heard of Carlos Hernandez before Melbourne signed or Fred? Mm. You know, and they came and they played, and yeah. they, you know, and that's the thing for me is that Perth Glory will get big crowds back again if they start winning. Mm. It's as simple as that. If they're in the top four and challenging, come you know rounds 2021. 20, They'll they'll be packing out of me. It's no problem about that. You know? oh, and, and it's the same with Sydney FC. You know, we, it's what happens on the pitch ultimately that determines whether a marquee player it was a good decision or not. And and from Sydney's perspective, Dwight York ticked both both boxes. And we've probably not yeah. had one that's done that in, exactly. in both ways. All
1: right, we're gonna take uh, we're gonna take a break here because it's half time in uh, inside the world of four four two.
2: Brett Phillips here, another big edition of Talking AFL coming your way this week
0: as we look ahead to the upcoming round of matches, hear from and talk to the stars and keep you up to date with all the latest breaking news. Don't miss it. Talking AFL with Brett Phillips every Friday at 4pm and 7pm Eastern Standard Time on your new home of sport online, Sport 24-7. Your local Super Cheap Auto has a huge range of over 10,000 products for the car, garage and shed. So come down and
1: check out our range of auto accessories and seat covers, power and hand tools, spare parts and batteries, car audio and navigation products, oils, lubricants and thousands of parts
0: available via special order. Why not take advantage of our range of fitment services and get into your local Super Cheap Auto, where you'll find... Everything on all much, much more. The latest on the world game on Sport 24-7. This is 442 Insider.
1: Okay, it's halftime. The oranges are being given around, but this is the time when we put a smile on your face. Who wants to start? Andy, have you got a a funny out of football? Because there's always...
2: um... I think the man of the match in the. Trevor's not here to talk about the Villa West Ham game, because obviously the bet was undecided after a 1 1 draw. But um, man of the match for me was the, was the uh, person who didn't expect to be so heavily involved, which is the person in the club shop. Who, uh, Aston Villa came out to play in a non-sponsored without names on their shirts just numbers on the back of their white change strip right. uh, which just goes to show that the English Premier League isn't uh, isn't immune to the odd uh, cock-up the, um, <laughs> the referee decided an hour before kick-off that um, there was too much of a clash between West Ham's light blue away strip and Villa's claret and blue home strip right. so obviously West Ham didn't have a change of kit with them <laughs> so Villa had to go and raid the club shop and the guy was uh, pressing the numbers to within a, a minutes of him taking the pitch and then spent the whole first half pressing the sponsors' logos and the names on the back. So in the second half, they ran out <laughs> with the sponsors' logo and the name on the back. And it sort of reminded me of the, um, the Adelaide-Queensland Raw debacle when there was a team playing in orange right. and a team playing in, the, in red and you couldn't actually tell which whether was there was which. actually any opposition on the pitch. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so that, that, that gave me a chuckle. Uh, Down it up park what about you Eden?
3: oh look I, I think I think whenever you get translators involved in press conferences <laughs> it's always a chuckle um, and look we recently had a, a press the first press conference for for Vytislav Lovica yeah. uh, which has spawned of course the Lavica Loka headlines and um, yeah look we he had a tr- he obviously doesn't speak great English. it's yeah, reasonable English. Yeah. he had a translator on stage so we were all recording it obviously and the, the protocol is that uh, that translator will speak into a microphone so you get the, the answers mm. but as it turned out uh the translator was uh, sidelined by a woman in the audience who was Czech, uh, who started to translate for us in the audience yeah. so we had the rather strange situation of him giving an answer the translator then being sidelined answer goes to somebody in the audience who turns around and tells all the journalists the answer of course we can't hear this on tape so mm. um yeah look i think translators press conferences does it's
1: it wasn't. It, it, yeah, okay. We'd have to say it wasn't properly organised. That they, there should have been a microphone there for the interpreter, because you and I were, were at that. But that's right. They, they, actually, we have to give credit to the lady who did all the interpreting for us, because she comes from SPS.
3: That's right. Yeah, and she and she interpreted. <laughs> she was quite there well. to do
1: an interview. Yeah. That's so,
3: <laughs> I just think maybe. <laughs>
2: bodes well you know, yeah, bodes well very <laughs> well
3: organised yeah. but look you know, it, gave me a, it gave us all a little yeah. bit of a chuckle not yeah. a huge chuckle no, but
1: no. A, a little chuckle yeah. yeah because we all thought you know why are we going to record this because the woman is up at the top of the room and That's right. we're trying to record what she said what about you Chris there must be some funnies
4: for you, from you well j- just to finish off what Aidan was saying I'm just wondering how a guy like Terry McFlynn is going to be able to communicate with Vitaslav Levika yeah. at training because his accent is barely audible at times you know I went to a Sydney FC training session and the way he just barks instructions out. And I think there might be a, a communication barrier there. Um,
1: Terry is from Northern Ireland and you should easily understand him when he talks like that.
4: <laughs> I, I, I like Terry. <laughs> we're, um, just, just for the listeners at home we're actually getting a translator in right now for that last sentence from Colin. Um, no, The thing about that lady was though she was just dressed like just like a Czechoslovakian old lady and she just looked so innocent. I actually you know? thought she was dressed like Susan Boyle.
0: <laughs> you think she was
4: going to sing? It was bizarre but it was good wasn't it? Well, I watched that that video this morning she'd make a, a wonderful marquee for the A-League maybe half-time entertainment, half-time entertainment. You know, exactly. appearances aren't everything I mean if you look at a player like um... she should be singing the A-League song oh absolutely you were oh, talking about the, the presets uh, <laughs> she could be doing the presets
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Okay, um, we halftime is over, the oranges are going to go away, the uh, whistle is going to blow for the second half to get underway. Let me start the uh, second half by uh, just carrying on with basically what we were talking about, the press conference and the arrival of uh, Mr. Levica uh, to take over at Sydney, and has a pretty good record. You were there at the press conference, uh, Aidan, were you impressed with the answers he was able to give to all the questions?
3: Well, Colin, I think whenever you get the chance to have a translator talk, first and then you you can you have more yeah. time to think about your answers. And I don't think he said too much um, other than uh, he wanted to stress team unity and discipline and respect. And I think in, in that regard, it's very similar to the Pierre at Basque era where, where the team was very much together, was very much unity, and he's got enough time to, to instill these ideas. I don't think he said too much. I think he may have dodged your your investigative mm. question yes. about being a defensive coach at under-21 level uh, we'll, we'll investigate that further, further. but uh, look i think i think he he said all the right things
1: hmm.
3: um he's probably not not that particularly skilled uh in dealing with a press conference situation terry busher for example was a master i thought at those situations yeah um but it's all about what he does on the park it's not about press conferences indeed
2: yeah i I'm I think I mentioned this last week you know I'd be really keen to to head down and see some of his early sessions and to see what he's bringing because I think think from my perspective I think that's one area where the A-League can look to uh, to take ideas from overseas be that Europe be that Asia you know bringing in foreign coaches because it's certainly an area that hasn't yeah, you know, really been mined to date. You know, with the, with the exception of Litbarsky in season one, and probably Butcher, he's probably got a fifty-fifty success rate there. Mm. Um, but I'll certainly be interested to see what he brings. You know, what ideas he brings, what training methods he brings. Um, you know, I would imagine that he'll be very hot on the fitness side of things. I think the, you know, the, one one of the things I suppose I, I, I can say to you, Andy, is that you have seen
1: all of the teams in the A League over the years. You've been in Melbourne, you've seen Brisbane, you've seen Sydney, and, and Perth what do you think Sydney needed as a team last year that this man should do to them this year
2: is it Um, defence is it midfield is it attack I think it's probably a combination of all three really I think they needed they just needed to I felt have a system that suited the players they had and too often um, it felt like there was square pegs being put in round holes and um, Um, but but I also think you know if your if your marquee player is John Aloisi, you build a team around him. Right, you know, you build a team to get the most out of your marquee player because that's what he's there to do. And the Central Coast Mariners got the best out of John Aloisi. Or got a return from John Aloisi by getting the ball wide and playing, you know, getting crosses into the box. You know, and that's where he's he does his best work. And Cosmina at that time was playing this almost four-two-three-one system with Aloisi as the one. But the problem was they they weren't getting any width. Right, you know, they they didn't have overlapping backs They weren't getting any crosses in, and as a result. Aloisi was just isolated or were still coming and receiving the ball thirty yards from goal with his back with his back to goal and, and not been able to get back into the box. So I think that's the first thing I'd look at and it'll be interesting to see what Levit can make uh, la- la- of Aloisi and how he plays around him. Last
1: year I spoke to you and you were very happy with the way Ernie Merrick had turned around the, the Melbourne side who went through a dodgy period and then you were all, uh, you were very excited about what Frank Farina was doing at Queensland with the youngsters.
2: Yeah, because I, I think if you looked at Melbourne victory and you looked at Queensland and to a degree Adelaide they all seemed to have their system that they played and the and it went through the club so when people came in, they, they knew what was expected, they knew their roles and I just felt that Sydney FC were, were, were chopping and changing a little bit depending on who was available. Um, and that's not easy to do then because you're coaching differently in the week than you end up playing based on who's available. Mm. Whereas I felt that both you know, Queensland, Adelaide and Melbourne all had a system of play right. and then the players fitted in around that. So. Mm. What about you, uh, And I think it speaks
3: to a wider issue. I mean, Sydney have had that many changes since they've, they've arrived in the A-League that they never really got into a, a rhythm of, okay, what is this club? How do we play? Season one, it was under Libaski, Then it was under Butcher. Butcher. Then there's Kalina. Then Kazmina. They all had different ideas. So I think what Andy was saying about... These, these styles it, it, it speaks at the different a larger issue which is what are we as a club and I think that's what they're trying to do now they're trying to uh, re-establish their, their their culture I think having a foreign coach is a really good idea particularly a European coach and I think also I spoke to Lubo Lepshansky uh, a few days ago and Lubo was a terrific player in the old NSL and if he's if Sydney is anything like Lubo who was a terrific skillful mobile intelligent midfielder he played for FC Kosice in in uh, the old Czechoslovakia before coming over here and playing for the Melbourne Knights and then Carlton Um, so he's a good example of the type of football he was talking about the just a very a typical European style of football, which is your whole possession, you, you, you know, you don't lose possession, you, it's a lot of one-twos, drag players out, play balls in behind. Just smart.
4: Chris, what would you like to see uh, Leverka do? Well, I'd, I'd like to see him stay for more than a season because cause I yeah, think man. that that's, that's a massive obstacle. And I asked him at the press conference after he went on about the, whole, the fact that he wants to establish unity and, and this particular style of play. I said, look, yeah. you, you're supposedly reportedly contracted for a season. It's going to be extremely difficult, A, to adapt to an Australian way of playing football because it's totally different from the Eastern European style and school of thought and the players aren't going to be used to playing it or the majority of them won't. They wouldn't have seen any of his techniques before sure. um, and Levica's response was yeah that's right one year isn't enough and speaking of Stefan uh, Kamats oh. afterwards the uh, Sydney FC CEO he actually said that Lavica's there with a view to stay for two years but with a possibility that he'll leave after one but that second year will make all the difference yeah. to whether he's a success. It's going to be so important. I mean that
3: said he still has a long off season I mean True. was it three or four months before the league kicks off oh, so he does have time I and mean, we have a, an extraordinarily long off season here so he does have
2: time true. I agree yeah. I agree I mean if you look at Melbourne who are you know now yeah. with, with two you know championships so arguably yeah. the benchmark everyone should aspire spot. you know they could have so easily got rid of Ernie Merrick after season one and they didn't you know and, and he's now established Melbourne Victory as his club you know and, he, and it goes a lot deeper than just the 11 that you put on the pitch it's about building relationships with the scouting network, with agents that then see what you do, see the way you play, see the way you treat your players. And if you come in, if you're just chopping and changing your coach every year, there's no chance for that for that to build, you know? And it's like building a business, you know? Business is built on relationships, you know? And you don't get that in 12 months, you know? And, and as we're seeing, you know, the quality of players that the Melbourne Victory are attracting now, not necessarily at the the, the, the marquee and the town, but bringing players in like Fabiano and Carlos Hernandez and people like that, That's those relationships are starting to bear fruit. And
3: they are basically played the
2: same way, basically for four seasons. So you
3: know what you're going to get, and there's a system in place. Like I said, like a business, if you know how the business is running, if everyone knows they're going in the same direction in terms of style, culture. Mm. And a lot of people talk about football culture. Okay, we're, we're halfway through the uh, second half. We'll take a break
1: here. We'll be back to talk more of Inside Sport, and we're Inside 442.
0: Click the big blue button every Saturday morning from 8 till 10 and catch Dave Butfield with Hooked on Fishing on Sport 24-7. Stay up to date with the latest fishing reports, weather, and the best techniques in fishing. It's Hooked on Fishing, thanks to Daiwa, Saturday morning on Sport 24-7. Attention all sporting memorabilia collectors. If you're looking for top quality, authentic memorabilia to add to your collection or as a personal or corporate gift, memorabiliaonline.com.au is your answer. Be it cricket, Aussie rules, legal union, horse racing, boxing, motorsports. In fact, most popular sports. Go to memorabiliaonline.com.au and have a browse around. All products are guaranteed authentic with prices to suit all budgets. memorabiliaonline.com.au the latest on the world game on sport 24 7 this is 442 insider we're back to the uh, last part of the uh, game and uh,
1: i want to turn our attention to the uh, socceroos because we've all had our fingers crossed and everything that they would make it to the world cup first of all can they make it and if they can what do they have to do to get there what do you think andy
2: um Obviously, all they need to do to get there is to get a point from um, the next three games, which I'm pretty certain they will get. I mean, it would take a okay. collapse of unprecedented proportions for them not to get there. Um, but then, obviously, the question is, you know, what does the squad look like? Who's in it? Um, yeah. You know, where, where do they need this? gentleman? I and um, you know, the concern thing, probably not for next year's World Cup, but certainly for the following qualification campaign, is, is where is the, the next generation of soccer who's coming from? You know because if you looked at the team that you would pick to take the park in the first game next june it wouldn't be an awful lot different to the team that played in 2006 um i agree with the exception of the Duca. Um mm. And beyond that, you know, you're looking at the, 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 the core unit that was there in 2006, and even people like Craig Moore have, have retired and come back, you know, because yeah, right. uh, they need that. They need that experience there. So I think that that's the that's the concerning thing for me is not next year, but what 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 does the software look like in 2011? Aiden, how do they
1: prepare? If they will just take Andy at his word that they're going to qualify, what do they have to do after
3: qualification? They better qualify, Andy. Andy. Oh, okay. yeah, you've yeah. said. There's uh, a lot of money riding on this, yeah. mate.
1: We've hung yeah. you out to. Right, Andy? Colin, they will qualify. There's no doubt Yeah, okay. They'll qualify. So how do they prepare for what's going to be ahead of them in South Africa? Uh,
3: I think they'll, they'll probably do a similar thing to what they did in 2006, which is, uh, I, th- I think most leagues get pulled back slightly. So you got probably about a three-week um, period where he'll get them in together. The thing with this squad is that uh, I think most... Good teams or, or great teams—they they have two cycles. I think generally you have two World Cup cycles for what you might call this golden generation. Mm-hmm. So this is the end of the cycle for this particular generation. The likes of Lucas Neal and Viduca and probably Carrie as well. Although I sense Kale might might stay on a little longer. So um, I think in terms of preparation, they'll, they'll just be friendlies. They'll be um, you know refining their what they do. It's not a lot of different. How they play now is not massively uh, difficult to play because. They know how him for big plays mm. so I think from a preparation point of view it's really just a matter of getting Edmonton fit properly and getting him back really important for as well um, really key I think because we play with one striker and of course as we've seen uh, McDonald as a lone striker or even Kennedy as a lone striker but I think just, just what Andy was talking about the next generation I'll be writing something on au.442.com very soon about how we see the next generation the, the 2014 campaign and it's not, it's not looking too bad uh, originally I was quite p- pessimistic, but uh, just looking at what we've got, perhaps not as bad as originally thought. What about you, Chris?
4: Look, Fabik's a pragmatist uh, first and foremost. Mm. So, so I think a lot of the preparation will depend on who Australia are drawn with in their group. Fabik will want to know these sides inside out, and and it won't be a case of a particular style. It'll be a case of how we're we going to get a result if mm. he indeed continues the philosophy he's been using in the qualification campaign. And that's that's not such a big deal for me. Look, as long as they pick a calibre of opposition in the lean up to the tournament, whereby they can really throw players who are on the fringes into a situation where they can prove themselves at a particular level. Um, the, the last the last thing Australia want is is to be in a position where, let's say, a, club, a team like Greece were before year 2008, where they played a team like Hungary, uh, who are you know, who were nowhere near the calibre of opposition, like Spain, Russia, who Greece were going to face in the group stages. And it killed them. It killed them before the tournament. So Australia need to line up quality opposition, um, a lot of quality opposition, and they need to take those friendly seriously. They're crucial uh, to the preparation. Do,
1: I'll ask the three of you. Do you actually see Pim Verbeek doing something that Sven-Goran Eriksson did with the England team and throwing in someone into the squad like a, a T1 is there? Can you
3: see
2: him do something like that or
3: a World Cup? Yeah, I I mean, uh, and
2: uh, throwing him in and then not playing. Yeah, him. not playing. <laughs> so might well left him at home. Yeah, I mean, yeah. What, the concern for me was ADO's you know, point about you know the fact that we're still t- even talking about Mark Baduka Yeah, you know for a couple the guy's not scored for a year. He's played five games this season, and that's a concern to me that a number of people, Verbeek included, are still talking about him. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. if, if it was me, I would go with Kennedy and say you're going to be my number one striker and you're going to play every game between now and then and because you know the the worst thing that can happen is we wait around for Mark Viduca and he's not fit you know and for me I would be saying if Paduka comes back into the frame late on great you know that's fantastic but for me they've got to now start playing with Josh Kennedy because he fits that mould he fits the mould they're used to playing and as we saw when he came on against Uzbekistan you know he does offer them something different and I would be saying that that's you know I'd be building my team around him spearheading the attack Exactly.
1: All right. As I say, we're inside uh, 442. This is called 442 Insider, where we take the journalists from 442 and we chew the cud over all of the things in football. Uh, Aiden Ormond is with us, and uh, Aiden is one of the great football writers in the country. And uh, Chris is a blogger. Uh, I I got that right. (laughs) Chris is a blogger. And I want to ask the two of you about your particular profession. uh, You, as a writer, because people say, about you Aidan that you have a, a book and, a, and I suppose phone numbers and contacts as long as a wet week and um, how do you survive
3: in in this world of, uh, of journalism well um, I think it's all about contacts I think sure. you know it's it's not a it's not a, what I always say to, to other journalists who ask me about you know stories how do you find stories is it's not about the scene level you, know, you can easily ring up a club and say can I speak to a player and they'll arrange an interview it, it, that's the scene level it's all about what goes on underneath that level it's about the agents the managers so the how do boyfriends. you go about getting a
1: story then well as you've broken quite a lot
3: uh, yeah look a lot of two a.m. phone calls uh, a lot of coffees a lot of drinks uh, a lot of making a fool of yourself. Uh, late night uh, it's getting to know people right. because when when they get to know you they feel comfortable and then they'll, they'll ring you every now and then and there's a, a whole lot of people underneath that scene level um, who are happy to uh, pass on information for for whatever reason. So it's really about, you've got to be nosy. You've got to just keep asking questions to people who are related to all of these stories that you can see. So it's, it's the underbelly that you want to be talking about. You well, want
1: to talk to a player, you can talk to the club, you can talk to the absolutely. media people, but there's another person who can block the gate, and that's the agent. How difficult is it dealing with agents?
3: Well, agents are terrific. Are actually oh, agents are terrific. They'll, they'll, contact you about a number of things because it's within their interests to talk to you so i've got very good relationships with a lot of agents and advisors um and they're they're not constrained by what clubs are constrained by so um yeah look there's agents there's managers there's boyfriends there's girlfriends there's all sorts of people who are you know sort of uh, around players around the scene and and uh, it's all about uh Getting contacts. Getting contacts.
4: What about you, Chris, as a blogger? Tell us about your job. Before I go on, guys, I've just got this image of Aiden. If anyone at home is is listening, and just picture a Geordie with a Nicolas Cage haircut um, (coughs) dressed in a Gandalf outfit because he has just gone on probably one of the wisest rants I've ever heard about journalism ever. I mean, Aiden at the moment possesses all the wisdom of Star Wars and Lord of the Rings characters combined. And that
3: comes from a a guy wearing a a Ron Burgundy t-shirt. And I've got to say, he's wearing a terrific... I love Ron Burgundy. Can we just say, what it says on the t-shirt? Can I just, there
1: with, <laughs> with, with, with finding out what Chris actually does?
4: <laughs> blogging is different to journalism. Um, I, mean, I mean, I guess it's a strand technically um, or it can be um, but blogging is a lot more personal. You've really got to, um, you've got to know what is essentially a small but loyal audience a lot of the time. Um, not that I have a small or loyal audience but that's not the point. Um, the fact is with, with blogging that there's probably a little bit more scope for introducing your own opinion and it's not about really contacting people. It's just about being able to perceive what's going on without contacting people. It's it's a different level of knowledge. Um, What Aiden's talking about, under that top level where you talk to players, to people at clubs, and there's that lower level, and blocking's almost a level beneath that because you don't even get in contact with with agents. You really have to look at what's happening from an outside point of view and be as logical and as well thought as possible, otherwise you you get shot down, you do.
3: And entertaining, it's gotta be entertaining. Oh,
4: absolutely, and and finding a balance is extremely difficult, Um, and you can always cross the line when you're trying to be entertaining. You can offend people, you you won't even realize it.
1: Andy, as as the publisher, is it difficult to control all these guys?
2: Sometimes it's me who they ring when they're not happy. So <laughs> we, people, I get the phone calls when people aren't happy with what appears. But yeah, I think the di- you know the difference between the two is obviously news is is based on you know objectivity and, and you know and hopefully fact um, most of the time although sometimes speculation forms an important part of football and you know and fans love the speculation about who might be coming to their club and who's got a whisper of this and who's got a whisper of that which you know forms a new section but ultimately you know blog as chris said you know it's it's someone's opinion or someone's take on it you know that 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 is their personal opinion um and then you know they they they, they get a following or people have, have Take issue with their thoughts, but it, but it's their thoughts and their thoughts only, and that you know, and it's really been one of the, you know, the, the sort of new avenues of journalism on the internet, and one that we've sort of embraced with 442. Exactly, and and the the response of uh, last week's program, um, even uh,
1: going around to other uh, sort of uh, events, meeting people and saying, uh, I heard that uh, 442 program last week, um, and I heard
2: this and I heard that, and it's all about opinions, isn't it? Because well, that's the thing, you know, you you can you can watch a game of football and then go to a pub and chat with 10 people who have watched the same game of football and they will all have a completely different opinion on who was man of the match, who played well, exactly. you know. and that's what football's about. you know. The, the no no one's opinion is, is better or worse than anyone else's and, and that's where the sort of internet bloggers have, have got a voice for that and, and you know, hopefully by reading the website you get a flavour for what different people around the country feel about what's going on at their club. And of course reading the monthly magazine 442. Yeah, although, uh, you that's know, the most yeah, you know, and even if you look at Michael Lynch and, and Simon Hill, you know, that they've got their columns in the magazine, and that's for their opinion and their take on things. So, I'll mean, that they're our blogs in print. All right, we've uh, covered uh, a whole, uh, I suppose, a whole uh,
1: tablecloth of uh, stories. We shall be back next week. Um, my thanks to uh, uh, Andy, to uh, Chris, and to uh, Aidan, and we shall return next week with another look at the inside of 442.